Good evening. If you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to begin our study this evening in verse 27 of Genesis 11. As we talk about the call of Abram, or as we know him, Abraham. Uh, We must remember that the book of Genesis is written to the people of Israel to teach them about their great God and to teach them about the faithfulness of their God to their fathers before he was faithful to them. So the people of Israel had been called out of slavery in Egypt and into a relationship with the Lord. They had been called to conquer the land of Canaan and they had been called to uh, they've been called to become a nation of priests to make a great name for the Lord and to conquer the wicked and evil forces of people in that land. If they were weak and simple people, they were a weak and simple nation. They had been slaves their entire lives. That is a pretty daunting task for such simple people. And as weak, sinful people and simple people also who are called to overcome a world of darkness today and who are called to glorify our Lord through Jesus Christ and what he has done in our lives, that is also a daunting task for us as well. We feel weak, we feel simple, yet God has told us that he can accomplish his purposes through us. How can both we and the people of Israel have comfort that God's purposes can be accomplished through such weak and simple people? Well, hence the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis reveals a narrative here in Genesis chapter, beginning in Genesis chapter 11, going on for quite some time that begins with their father, Abraham. Their father, Abraham, who was just a simple man, but was enabled by a great and awesome and faithful God and Lord who would be their Lord as well. And so tonight, as we consider the story that would have encouraged Israel as they sought to fulfill God's purposes and overcome the forces of evil and glorify the Lord as a nation of peace, uh, of priests and then in the land of Canaan, we too are going to take that comfort that they took from the story of Abraham, from the call of Abraham and see how we too can be a people who have really a similar narrative as Abraham so that we might see and learn about our own salvation and learn about our own calling and why God called us to himself and how we can have salvation through him. So notice the story of Abram begins in chapter 11 of Genesis in verse 27. Read with me uh, these few verses. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 and uh, 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. The first thing I want to notice about Abram's call is that Abram was called from lowliness. I believe we can often have misconceptions about the types of people that God calls to fulfill his purposes and misconceptions about the people in the Bible in whom we remember great stories. And it's especially true as we think about Abram. When I think about Abraham, and I don't think I'm exempt uh, or I don't think I'm unique in this. When I think about Abraham, I think about the great, strong, mighty man of faith. He had a great land. He had many people. He had many sons. Everyone knew about Abraham and he had great, strong, tested faith. But what's interesting is that's not where Abraham began. Abraham began as a simple man named Abram. And Genesis doesn't paint him as more than just a simple, normal man like you and I. Uh, We're not given a ton of details about Abram's life here, but I want for us to notice a couple. The first thing that we notice about Abram that I tried to emphasize in the reading is that he is a married man, married to Sarai. But you notice chapter 11 and verse 30. He was married to a woman who was barren. Just consider the shock value that this statement carries as we consider Abraham, as we consider this man that we normally think is the father of many people, the father of many nations. And as Israel would have read this for the first time and considered these words, whether they knew them beforehand or not, consider the shock value of of Abraham, the man that they considered as the father of many nations. The beginning of his story is one of simplicity. He was married to a barren woman. His wife was barren. Imagine how discouraging that must have been. Abram and Sarai would have no children to enjoy in their old age. They would have no children to protect them in their old age. They would have no children to continue on their lineage and to continue on the family name. No children to accept his inheritance whenever he died. On top of that, in the ancient Near East, it was a great shame to not bear children. So that's the first thing we notice about the simplicity about Abram and his wife is that they were barren. They had no children, though they were promised much greater. The second thing we notice is that Abram, he's asked by God to leave the only family he has. So not only does he not have children to protect him in his old age and to continue on his uh, family name, he is called to leave the only family that he does have. And he is called to leave the only land that he does have and everything that he he has ever known. But what's interesting is that Abram and Sarai's weaknesses, I don't believe, are simply physical. Uh, It's quite possible that their spiritual realities weren't much different before God revealed himself to Abram. Consider Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2. You don't have to turn over there. We're just going to consider it briefly. But Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, as Joshua speaks to the people of Israel, he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abram and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Abram wasn't from a great lineage of worshipers of the Lord, from a family of great faithful people. Abram was not only lowly in a physical way, he was from a lineage of idolaters. 
it is possible that Abram, before he met the Lord and the Lord revealed himself to him, it's possible that Abram was also in this situation. We cannot know for sure. But I want for us to simply understand this picture that the Bible paints is that Abram is not anything greater. Uh, He's not any greater man than you and I. He was called from lowliness. He was called possibly he was called also from spiritual depravity, whether or not he was an idolater. He was a man like the rest of us who sinned and made mistakes. He was called by the Lord, even though he was a weak and simple man. And this becomes a repeated theme throughout the book of Genesis. Think about the stories in Genesis. Think about Jacob and think about Isaac. We're told in Genesis 25, 21 and Genesis 29, 31, that both these men, Isaac and Jacob, were married to women who were barren. Yet the Lord intervened. The patriarchs that we think of as great men of faith that accomplished great things and made a great name for the Lord, uh, God crafted them into these men and women of faith. God made them everything that they were. God made them a strong and mighty and powerful people. They were normal men and women like you and me. They were normal men and women just like Abram was here in Genesis 11. The same thing that is found here in Genesis 11 and throughout Genesis and throughout the Bible is seen in our own lives as well today. And more than ever, I don't know about you guys, but I really need to emphasize this in my own life as well. I need to be reminded that the Lord does not accomplish his purposes through those who are strong and self-sufficient by their own power, by their own influence, by their own righteousness, by their own abilities. I always feel like I should bring more to the table. I've always felt like that. I am sure we all kind of feel like that. We feel like we should be bringing more to the table when God has been so good to us. Uh, in the months before I became a Christian, I struggled and I, I decided that I was going to wait to become a Christian until I was good enough to be a Christian. Well, little did I know that that was absolutely impossible. I wanted to be greater, stronger, and more righteous before I was baptized and had my sins forgiven. It doesn't really make sense now as I think about it, but I struggle with the same thing today. As Ashley and I consider moving to Houston, I still feel like I should be bringing more to the table. I'm scared to death to move to Houston and to lead and to work among those people and to match the purposes that God has called me to. And I'm sure you guys have the same insecurities in your own lives as well. And we need to be reminded that Abram was a man like us and God would accomplish his purposes through this simple, lowly, And even a sinful man, this man that struggled with sin, God accomplishes purposes through us as well, even though we have small abilities. You know, as we consider how we have these strong, these small abilities uh, and these insecurities, I want you to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want for us to notice that Paul had these insecurities too in his own life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and notice with me verses 9 through 10. This is kind of a theme that we see throughout 2 Corinthians, something that we've already seen uh, last week as Paul talked about his suffering and said that his suffering and his weaknesses did not disqualify him from ministry and from ministering uh, to the Lord and serving the Lord. The same thing is true here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I like that passage. Though the world likes to boast of their own abilities, God calls for us to boast in His great abilities so that we might boast in the great power of God though we have so little to bring to the table. Though we struggle believing otherwise... There are no prerequisites. There are no prerequisites at all. There is no strength or righteousness that we must bring to the table beforehand to be called into a relationship with God. Certainly God desires to work us into holy and uh, holy people that are created for good works. But as we consider coming to God for the first time and even as we consider our own lives and and the purposes that God desires to accomplish through us, we must understand this from the beginning that God calls us from lowliness just as he called Abraham from lowliness. And that does not make us exempt from God working his purposes through us. The second thing I want to notice is that Abram was called to great blessings, though he was called from great lowliness. Turn back to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, back over where we were before. And let's read verses one through three. And I want for us to notice the great blessings that God calls Abraham to experience or Abram to his experience as he's called here. Genesis chapter 12 and verse one. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Though Abram and Sarai would bring very little to the table, God called them to great blessings. And I like how the focus of this very short paragraph is all on what God would do for Abraham. You notice how five different times in these three verses, five different times the phrase I will is used as God speaks to Abraham. God, though, or the Lord, though Abram is leaving his homeland, he's going to show him a new hand, a new land. Though Abram has no children, the Lord will make him into a great nation. Though Abram has no strength and uh, ability on his own, the Lord is going to bless him. Though Abram had no family around him to protect him, the Lord was going to curse Abram's enemies and bless those who blessed him. The Lord was going to accomplish everything in Abram's life. The Lord was going to accomplish everything and bring him from lowliness. And really every story in Genesis that follows about Abram really should be seen through the lens of what we see here and the promises that are made to Abram here. Consider when Abram later on in this chapter encounters famine, the question in our minds as he encounters famine and as Sarai is endangered as she enters into the harem of Pharaoh, the question should be, is God going to stay true to those promises? Will God be faithful as he has said he would be to these people who are going through difficulties? Will he still bless them? When Abram's nephew, Lot, was captured and Abram took 318 men up against four powerful kings, the question then would still be, will God curse his enemies? 
Will God bless those who bless Abraham? Will he keep him safe and secure? When Abram was still childless at 99 years old, the question is, will God be faithful? Will God be faithful to that promise he made 25 years ago, 24 years ago, to give him a son, to make him a great nation? And through each period of life, of Abraham's life, though the promises of God seem to constantly be in jeopardy, we learn as we read Genesis that the promises of the Lord were never in question at all. God was always able to faithfully deliver on the blessings that he promised. Imagine what this would be like to be Israel going into the land of Canaan as you've been called to be a nation of priests, as you've been called to overcome all these nations that are wicked and to conquer them, these mighty nations, these nations that have chariots of iron and giants. Imagine as you are called to do that. And you have no home. You have no concrete building in which you can rest your bed. You feel like a weak people. You're going into an unknown land. And God has told you, you can conquer this land. And you can you can be this holy nation of priests. That's scary. But as you read this, as you read the promises made to Abraham, and then read about their fulfillment here on out in the stories to come, the stories of God's faithfulness, That would have built their faith immensely as they considered the promises that God made to them, the promises that we can read throughout Exodus, the promises that we can read throughout Deuteronomy, that God would give them this land if they would be faithful to him. All the promises of God held secure for their father Abraham and it would hold secure for them. The theme of Abraham's life then we consider is not one that speaks of Abraham's strength. But constantly at each chapter, at each chapter as Abraham overcomes, the theme is not, oh, Abraham overcame, but God overcame for Abraham. The theme of Abraham's life was not Abraham's strength, but God's faithfulness and God's blessings and God's fulfillment of promises, though they constantly appeared to be in danger. And out of all these blessings that God gave Abraham, Let's just consider for a moment, was Abraham ever able to repay the Lord for all that the Lord did to him, did for him? Not at all. Though Abram gave his life for the Lord's glory, the story was never primarily about Abraham at all. There are great things we can learn about Abraham, but the most important thing we need to learn from this narrative and the narratives that continue on in Genesis is not, oh, how great Abraham is. But the narrative is all about the Lord. The narrative here is about what the Lord is doing in his life. And I don't want for us to get the wrong impression here, but there's times in my life where I can focus too much on what I give back to the Lord. I'm not at all seeking to undermine the need for us to constantly test ourselves and the need for us to give ourselves more and more for the Lord into into the sanctification and holiness that he calls us to. But if I make the story of my life about how I've blessed the Lord, then honestly, that works out to be a very short, unimpressive and discouraging story. Very sad story in reality. When we're discouraged in the midst of our growing and our giving ourselves to the Lord more and more, I believe we need to pause from time to time for a reality check And recognize that the story of our lives needs to be not about what we do for the Lord. Though we do give our lives back to the Lord, the story of our lives needs to be more about how, though I am weak, 
God's blessings have made me someone that I could not be otherwise. His grace cleanses our hearts. His word brings us joy. And when our susceptibility to sin seems to have undermined everything that God has called us to and everything, all of God's promises, when it seems that our own weakness and our own abilities seem to wreck the promises that God has made to us, his love calls us back. His love restores us and his faithfulness keeps us close. And when our enemy threatens to destroy us completely, he is our protection. When we're destitute in the midst of trials, his promises provide a way for us to remain strong. And his faithfulness encourages us. You know, I think that's why our worship here is so important. I I grow really sad of people who don't enjoy worshiping the Lord. It's a sad thing. I know you all love worshiping the Lord, but it's sad when I see people that don't enjoy worshiping the Lord. They think of it as a duty. And this is a wonderful blessing that we have been given to come here to worship the Lord and to be reminded of these very things that we're talking about, to be reminded of the blessings of the Lord, to be reminded that the theme of our life is not our own strength, but the theme of our life is God's strength and God's faithfulness to bless us and to take us through the darkest of times and the deepest of difficulties and our greatest weakness, sin. The theme of our life is God's ability to bless us, though we constantly undermine it with our own inability. Let us remember that though we are weak, we are called, and though we are called to walk worthy of a great calling, the calling is not for us to walk worthy, but the calling for us is to accept the infinite spiritual blessings that the Lord gives to those who are his children. And I hope we will take encouragement from that being the theme of Abraham's life as well. And so the first thing we notice is that Abram was called for weakness. The second thing we notice is that Abram was called to great blessings. And as we consider the story and the, the narrative that we've and the points that we've already considered, that creates a problem. If Abram is called from weakness and called to great blessings, we've got a little bit of a problem. Abram has nothing, but God has called him to experience everything. God has promised him everything. Yet at 75 years old, let's see what Abram does. Let's notice notice with me verses 4 through 9. As Abram has been called from nothing and been promised everything, let's see how Abram responds. Verse 4 of Genesis chapter 12. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Abram, verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. At 75 years old, though Abram had been called from lowliness and been promised everything, 
Abram put faith in the Lord's promises and he obeyed the Lord. He gathered his people, he gathered his belongings and traveled into the great unknown. And we must recognize what great faith this must have taken at 75 years old to leave the land that you've known, to leave your family and go to a land that God says he's going to show him, to a land that he does not know. He's not even been told where he is going yet. It's just a land that God's going to show him, that he follows. Uh, This is not like moving to a new city in our own day. Uh... There's no maps. (laughs) There's no established cities where he says, hey, you're going to be safe when you go to that city. Everything's going to be all right. Just call them up, get an apartment ready, and there's going to be some friends there to greet you when you get in. No, he's going into a land that we read right here. The Canaanites are still in the land. He's going to a land that he has not settled. That is not his own yet. This is scary. Yet he has faith to do it. He obeys the Lord in spite of the great difficulty of faith here. And his faith paid off. When Abram arrives at the land of Canaan, the Lord appears to Abram and tells him that he is now standing on the land that he will give his future descendants. But I want for us to notice how Abram reacts to this declaration by the Lord. You notice how he reacts? He pumps his fist and he praises himself for his great faith, doesn't he? Oh, wait. No, that's not what he does, is it? You notice there in verse 7, as soon as the Lord makes this declaration, Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abram's focus was on the glory of the Lord. And then you notice in verse 8, as Abram continued on in his life, what did he do when he settled in between Ai and Bethel? Ah, He built another altar to the Lord. And if we consider the story of Genesis and where we are in the context of what's happened up to this point, I think it's helpful to recognize that this is a huge contrast to what you would see, to what we would see in Genesis 11. You just turn back a page to Genesis chapter 11, and what's the story in the beginning of Genesis chapter 11? Ah, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. And what did the people of Babel do? Well, they rejected the command of God to spread out over the earth and make a name for the Lord and to trust in the Lord's blessings. And they built a great city so that they could protect themselves and trust in their own strength. And they built a great tower to make a name for themselves. Yet Abram here, presented in Genesis chapter 12, is the exact opposite of the people of Babel. He does not stay in his homeland, but he leaves his homeland. And when he gets to the land that God will bless him with, he does not pump his fist and praise his great faith in God or praise his own strength. He builds an altar to make a name for the Lord. I believe this contrast is shown most beautifully in Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 8 through 10. Just listen to what the Hebrew writer, how the Hebrew writer describes the faith of Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, 
whose designer and builder is God. The great thing that we see about Abram here in verses 4 through 9 is that Abram, though he was called from lowliness and though he was called to great blessings, is that Abram was called to faith, to have faith in the Lord for the glory of the Lord. The people of Babel were interested in trusting in their own strength and building up their own glory. Yet Abram, though the Lord did not even command him to do this, Abram, as soon as he experienced the blessings of God, sought the glory of God, sought communion with God, and built altars for the Lord wherever he went. God blessed Abraham to build a faith in Abraham that would glorify the Lord alone. And then I submit to you that that is what is so significant about salvation and justification by faith alone is the Lord's glory is the Lord's glory works to be uh, works best when our salvation and justification is by faith alone uh, faith and not by our works and not by our own human strength as we've already recognized is the theme of abram's life here turn to romans chapter 4 if you've been with us in the sunday morning class then you've already recognized this as we've been studying this in romans chapter 4 i want to show us how paul here as he discusses salvation by faith He brings out the same thing that we're noticing here, that salvation by faith, justification by faith that would later be given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 works out to be for God's glory, which is everything that we've recognized here as we consider our own weakness, our own abilities, but God's ability to bless us and be faithful to us. Romans chapter four and notice with me beginning in verse one. After Paul here, context, if you've not been with us on Sunday mornings, the context is Paul has just said, you are saved by faith and not by works. And so now he says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Notice here why Paul says God eventually, later on in Genesis 15, why God justified Abraham by his faith and not by his works. Verses 4 to 5 give us the answer. Verses 4 to 5 tell us this is essentially the case because God alone is glorified in justification by faith. If we're forgiven by our own human strength and by our own good deeds and by our own works, our forgiveness then is due to us as pay. We are glorified. But Paul teaches us that justification is by faith because then our justification is a gift from God, which clearly glorifies God alone. This was the focus of Abraham's story here in Genesis chapter 12. 
Abram knew from the beginning that his blessings would not come by the by his own power, but by faith in the powerful working of God. And as God came through on the promises that he made to Abraham, God alone was glorified because Abraham did not praise his own strength and did not praise his own ability, but praised God's faithfulness in the midst of Abram's weakness and desperation. Abram traveled from place to place making memorials for the Lord to extol his great name to the world and at least to extol the Lord's great name to the company of people that he was around. Abram's faith then allowed for the Lord to make a name for himself. You turn over to Isaiah 55 and we're going to see that this same theme really happens in our own life. This glorification of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 55 And verse 12, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 12 uh, speaks of this similar way in how the Lord's people are brought from lowliness. And when they put faith in God and when they abandon their own ways, though they are weak, they will be made strong and make a name for the Lord. Notice verse verses 12 and 13 of Isaiah 55 of Isaiah 55. He says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God prophesied that one day, though his though one day his people would be thirsty and hungry and destitute and weak, God would establish them by his word if they would abandon their ways for God way, God's ways. And the ultimate accomplishment is seen here in verse 13. Notice what he says in verse 13. It said the thorn and the briar, cypress and myrtle are going to come up. I think that's a picture of God's people. God's people, before they come to God, and as they come to God, they are simple, weak people. They're like thorn bushes. They're like briars. But when God works in their life, if they will submit to Him in faith, when God works in their life, when He is through with them, they are planted. They are the planting of the Lord. They are tall and they are strong only because of what the Lord's Word has accomplished in their own lives. Though we were once lowly, thorn bushes, simple, weak people, God makes us into cypresses and myrtles for His own glory. And you notice that His glory is accomplished there in verse 13. It will make... A name for the Lord, an everlasting sign or memorial that will not be cut off. Though we were once sin afflicted and poor, God desires to make a name for himself by blessing us and creating faith in our lives and faith in our hearts and making and to make a name for himself for his own glory by what he does in our lives. And so in conclusion, then, 
as we consider our own weakness and our own ability to accomplish the purposes of God in our own life, I want for us to remember that God calls lowly sinners to himself and accomplishes his purposes through lowly sinners. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were no different than us. They were simple men of weakness. And there were no prerequisites for them to be called by the Lord, just as there are no prerequisites for us to be called by the Lord. We are called to put faith in the Lord, certainly, but we must understand from the beginning that there are no prerequisites except for us to understand our own weakness and our own inability. The second thing we need to remember is that the narrative of our life is primarily about what God does in our lives and not what we do for the Lord. Certainly, as I've said, we do give our lives back to the Lord, but primarily, primarily the narrative of our lives is all about how God is seeking to bless our lives to make a name for himself through our bodies, through our words, through what he does in our lives. And then third, remember that salvation by faith glorifies the Lord alone. When we think about our own inability and when we doubt our own inabilities, as uh, I'm sure we all so frequently do, and we think of ourselves as failures from time to time, we must remember that we will never be good enough for God to save us. We will never be good enough for God to work his purposes in us. Rather, we are called to put faith in God, that faith that that faith, that trust that God can accomplish his purposes, though we aren't good enough and though we are not able enough. We can extol the name of the Lord. We can make a name, great name for the Lord, but it's not going to be by our strength, only by our faith in his strength and ability. And so then I want for us to call. I want to call for us forth then to respond to salvation by faith by glorifying God alone. When others recognize the work that God does in you and that God has done in your own life, let us all be reminded as we sing every time we come to hear that we are the making of the Lord, that we are the planting of the Lord, that we have promised the Lord that we will be there for him. And as we sang in that new song today, the only way that it is accomplished is by God's grace and by God's faithfulness to us. Abraham was called from lowliness to great blessings, but to accomplish and have those blessings by great faith. Will we put our faith in God, though the promises of God seem at jeopardy from day to day? Read the stories of Abraham, read the promises made to Abraham, and know that no matter how great your sin, and no matter how great our sin is, God can forgive us, God can do a great work in us, and God can sanctify us and make us a people that have a far greater purpose uh, than just what is accomplished in our own lives. But it's a great purpose that is seen uh, throughout time. Today, we can look back and see what God did in Abraham's life. Today, Abraham is still making a name for the Lord. In the future, I hope that we will still be able to make a name for the Lord and that our children will be able to look back in our lives and see how God made a name for himself through our lives and accomplish great things through us. If there's any way that we can help you in your walk with the Lord and understand that God calls us from weakness to have faith in him, to have faith alone in his power, then we want to help you do that. And if there is any way that we can help bring you into a relationship with the Lord by the Lord's power and the Lord's grace, 
I hope that we will not delay. If you're not in a relationship with the Lord, if you've not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we want to call you to do that now. We want to call you to do that tonight so that God can begin to do this great work in you and so that God can begin to start his story of grace and faithfulness in your life for his glory. If there's any way we can help you in your walk with the Lord, please come forward to the front while we stand and while we sing.